Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. We've got a special guest with us here today. We have a Miss Katie Now, maybe even Dr. Katie Now. How about that? Katie left home in high school. She was homeless for a while. She was placed in a foster home until she graduated from high school and then hitchhiked 20 miles to college. And now she's helping others dissolve their waffles. Dissolving waffles at a first glance is not what it sounds like. There's no milk involved here. Waffles is worries, anxiety, fear, frustration, lethargy, lethargy, exhaustion, and stress. And apparently I have some mouth lethargy going on because English is leaving me. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, both Jason and Amanda. I'm thrilled to be here today. Oh, it's great to have you. You know, Amanda and I were watching your TED Talk, and then, of course, YouTube doesn't spy on you or know everything you're thinking about, but it just keeps autoplaying things that have you in it that they can find. And so we, we watched and saw a lot of the story, especially of where you're at today. Mm. You know, we watched you talking about dissolving waffles and, and the, <laughs> the EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, right? I'm so impressed. I'm Good work. I'm impressed too, because I've been trying to remember that for like a day and a half. And it just, it should be electromagnetic frequency for in my head. There's something I right. cannot, couldn't remember it. So <laughs> I'm just proud. I remembered it. <laughs> but, I am too. Bonus points for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're talking, you know, we, we were listening to all that. I'm really wild and interesting stuff. We, you know, we listened to your, to a lot of the stuff you talk about with the tapping, which honestly I have never heard before. And when you said it's been something been used since like what, 30 years ago. And I'm like, 40, oh, 40? Uh, okay. 40, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been around that long and then a little bit, and I've never heard of it before until just recently. Uh, we had Gina human on, on one of the episodes mm. and Gina tells her story as she dealt with a kid who, um, who was came from Bolivia, Bulgaria, somewhere that started with a B another country and it was a kid who was uh diagnosed with rad yeah diagnosed with rad he had a really rough backstory and had Mm -hmm. reactive attachment disorder and her and her husband went through the ringer trying to help Mm -hmm. this kid and eventually found the right therapies and and on a really good pathway it's one of the few really really positive rad stories i've heard Mm -hmm. but she left the whole situation with some pretty serious ptsd from it all Mm -hmm. but that was one thing that the therapist had taught her was tapping and and had wild success mm-hmm. with her child with that and she said that was one of the things that gave her one of the only things that gave her 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 big success so that was one of the things that i was like oh this hang on i hear some some correlation to some things i've heard in the past and i see you're doing all this stuff and helping all these people but that's an amazing story for anybody but go back to that backstory <laughs> you know you left home in high school you were homeless you're in foster care. And when you ended up in college, you hitchhiked to get there. I mean, that's let's, perseverance. Yeah, it is. <sighs> so, so what made you leave home back at the beginning? So um, Jason and Amanda, you know, it's funny going back and now that I'm getting older and trying to still make sense of all of that. Right. Um, 
it's been an interesting journey. My um, parents divorced before I was born. And uh, what's interesting is that my mother, this was in the 1950s, um, said she wanted to borrow their one car that they had. My father was stationed in San Francisco at the time. She wanted to borrow the one car to go out and get, I think, cigarettes or something. And she took the one car they had and drove from San Francisco to Pittsburgh, Kansas. Now think about this. This was a single woman in the 1950s. She did not have a credit card. I, I'm sure she had no cash. Um, and how did she get from San Francisco to Pittsburgh, Kansas? Now, why would she leave? Well, my father was, I've been told, excited when he found out that his new wife was pregnant until he had called his mother to say, guess what? Uh, we're going to have a, a child. My father was an only child and his mother had decided that she wasn't keen about being a mother. So when my father was five years old, he placed, she placed him in a boarding school. Imagine a five-year-old in a boarding school. He was in the Navy at the time when um, my mother, when he met my mother and they, they married. And so when he told his mother that she was going to be a grandma, her response was, I'm too young to be a grandmother. You've got to abort the baby. My mother, who was raised as a strict Roman Catholic, didn't like the sound of that. And borrowed the car, drove from San Francisco to Southeast Kansas, where she gave birth to me uh, while she was living with her parents who were in their 60s at the time. And she got a full-time job. And actually, you know, it's really interesting. I was pretty much raised by my grandparents, right? Because my mother was working and my nearby aunt who lived in Arma, Kansas, um, we're talking about all these small towns in Southeast Kansas. And, um, and they really gave me the difference, I believe, um, that made the difference in my life. Because as I've done my research, as I've done the studies, it's the first 12 months of life that can really make a difference. After um, I was born, my mother met and married her second husband, had two more children. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, they got a divorce. Um, she met and married a third husband, they got a divorce, and she met and married a fourth husband. Throughout all of this, we basically were pretty much living in poverty. From time to time when the new husband would come in and they'd have a new job, there would be lots of money for a while, but then it would go back. I ended up attending 12 different schools in five different states as I was growing up. We never moved in the summer. We always moved you know, sometime mid-state. The one thing that was constant in my education was math. Uh, because that's pretty consistent, right? All the way through. You know, there's something interesting that happened between World War I and World War II. But when I left one school, they were starting the study of World War I. And when I transferred to the other school, they would finish this World War II studies. So whenever I have questions about that, I just ask my husband because it's just too much to read. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of instability for a kid, though. Well, not only Amanda was an instability, but I had two siblings that, you know, you mentioned that you grew up fast. Uh, yes. I grew up fast too. Um, I remember taking my first 
real job with a paycheck. I'm so proud of myself. I had been taking jobs along the way, you know, babysitting jobs. Um, I'm really going to date myself, uh, collecting pop bottles and uh, taking them to the store for five cents a piece in my little wagon. And I would crochet, you know, um, little pot holders. I mean, I would do anything to generate income so that there would be things that we could buy. I used to write plays and force my siblings to be in the plays. I would sell tickets to the neighborhood kids for a nickel. I would hand out popcorn for free, extra salted, so that I could sell the Kool-Aid at 15 cents. (laughs) (laughs) So that, but even then, you know, when you're growing up in that kind of environment, that's all you know, right? And so- And so you think that this is what everybody's going through. As we move from place to place, I started, and I was getting older, I started kind of looking around to see, you know, hey, not everybody else is moving around like we're moving around. And hey, they've got a really nice house. And wow, look at her clothes. And gosh, you know, they're doing different things. And as I got older, I started trying to determine what was the difference And for me, the difference that I saw was that the people that were going places and doing things that I wanted to do, their parents had more education. We were pretty much a group that was led by a single mother back when there were not a lot of single mothers. It's not like it is now, right? Um, It was pretty unusual to, and, and we were attending parochial schools. So the nuns were telling us all the time about how my mother was excommunicated from the church and, you know, we were going on through all that. When the, um, when I figured out that education was going to make the difference because my mother really didn't, I think she had one year of college and she was studying art. She was very artistic. Um, And so her jobs were all low level jobs. And of course, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, women's pay was even worse than it is now. So we never had enough money. My first job that I took where I did get a paycheck and they took out social security and all that stuff, I was 12 years old and I worked at the restaurant that was directly behind our house as a dishwasher for a huge amount of money of 75 cents an hour. And I was thrilled to get it, right? Because what I did with the money is I was able to buy winter coats for me and my siblings. Um, And so this kind of continued on. And, you know, it's just what we thought. From time to time, we'd go back and stay with grandparents. Uh, We did, we were able to stay close to cousins, which made a huge difference. Um, And they were the, they were probably the people I got to observe the most because I could see their lifestyle. You know, one of my cousins had a horse. Another cousin's group of cousins belonged to country club. You know, other cousins would ask me, have you ever had a bicycle? And I'm like, well, you know, someday. (laughs) So watching my cousins is probably where I got the big idea that their education is what got them. So education really became the drive for me. When I was um, a junior in high school, I think it was between between my sophomore and junior year, a couple of years before that, uh, all of a sudden I had the opportunity to meet my father for the first time. Well, as you might imagine, my entire life, my father was on this pedestal. He was going to save me from all of this disruption, from all this chaos, from all this craziness. And so the idea of meeting him was just like, 
my heart was going to burst. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. So I was 14 years old when I first met him and, oh, I just thought he was amazing. He flew in from California where he was living um, and we were in Missouri. We were in Missouri at the time, Storysville, Missouri. And he um, met us. It, we actually drove to Kansas City and met him at the airport there. Uh, oh, I just realized something. Huh, that's the same place I met. I, I didn't really put that together before. That's the same place I first met one of the children that my mother gave up for adoption and was at the Kansas City Airport. Just put that together. Anyway, uh, um, so I met him there. And then between my uh, sophomore and junior year, I was supposed to fly out to California to spend the summer with them. And I couldn't. I was so disappointed when my father called and said, I'm really sorry you can't come out because I'm getting a divorce from my second wife. And she will be in jail because she hired a hitman to kill me. So I couldn't wow. go. <laughs> I couldn't go there. <laughs> so I'm kind of feeling like my options are closing in on me, right? But we had been at the same place for more than a year, and I was starting to make friends. It was a small enough town. We were in Nebraska then, um, and. And it was a small enough town that I was, people were starting to notice me and I was starting to, you know, make friends. And, and I actually got nominated to one of the homecoming courts. Well, it wasn't the big one, you know, it was the basketball homecoming, but still, you know, to be recognized for you though. Yeah. It felt really good. It felt really good. So I was very excited. So I told my mom about it and, and um, I asked what my curfew was because I never went out. I, I really didn't date, you know, I, I just didn't do any of that stuff. And I asked her what my curfew was and she said, we have to be home by nine o'clock. I'm a junior in high school and, and this is the big dance, which really doesn't start until after the game, which is like 8.30 or nine o'clock. And I was like, nine o'clock. So by that time I'd kind of gotten my, you know, I was a teenager and, you know, luckily <laughs> I knew everything. So. Well, of course you did. Cause you were a teen. You had to know it yeah, all. Yeah. I knew everything. So I decided I was going to show my mother. So, um, I had my date. Um, we went to the dance. It was pretty tame. Nothing's going on. And my date drove up to, to take, drop me off at 11 o'clock. And I looked at my watch and I said, I'm not going in right now. Do you mind sitting in the car with me for another hour? Cause I'm not going to go inside until midnight. <laughs> and he said, sure. So we sat out in the car until midnight and I said, okay, I, I'll, I'll go in now. So at the time we were living in a section of town that I called and others did too, Welfare Island, cause it was a less expensive place to live. Um, and they were quite nice. They were very nice places. Um, it was a two story kind of place. Um, and that Saturday, that next day, um, was my SAT. And education is important to me, right? And I knew that I had to do well on my SAT so that I could go to college. 
I had no idea which college I was going to go to. I had no idea what I was going to study. I just knew that I needed to get education. So I, um, I went and uh, of course I didn't have a key because I was a junior in high school and couldn't be trusted. Um, and so I, I checked the front door that was locked. I checked the back door and that was locked. So um, I opened the utility room door, which was uh, adjacent, but separate. And the washer and dryer was there. So I slept on the washer and dryer until daylight. And at daylight, I knew I had to get up and get dressed and, and go to get, take my SATs. So I checked the doors, the doors were still locked. So I started throwing rocks at the windows to wake up my sister. And finally I heard steps coming down. I was like, oh my God, it'd be great. And, and sure enough, the door opened and it was my mother. Mm. <laughs> I was coming in at 6 a.m. when I was supposed to be in coming in at nine. It did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. It did not go well. Um, there was lots of loud words, lots of physical stuff going on. And it was at that point that I just said, you know, I really think this is enough. She would not drive me the few miles to the nearby town where the SAT was going to be on. The SAT was important to me. So I walked, I walked those few miles to get to the SAT so I could take my SAT so I could go to some college somewhere and study something so I can have a different life. That was my goal. <laughs> Pretty specific, don't you think? <laughs> it's at least a goal. For a high it school a goal. kid. Yeah, for a yeah. high school kid, that is actually kind of specific for most yeah. high school kids I know. Yeah, I think you're right, Jason. So I took my SAT, walked back home. And um, when I got home, the door, my sister was there. Um, and she'd heard the whole thing. Um, but my mother was not there. So I, I grabbed a couple outfits I didn't grab a suitcase or anything and I just left. I just left. I was like, I'm done. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. We were again in a new town. There was no support system. There was nobody there. And so um, I literally slept under the bushes in Nebraska uh, for a while because I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I still went to high school. Um, some of my friends figured out that what was going on and they would let me sleep in their place a day or two until their parents found out and their parents would flip out and throw me out. Um, and so I just kind of moved around from place to place. And finally I realized I really needed some stability. Right. And went to my high school counselor and said, I, I don't, I don't know. Can you help me find a place to live? And they're like, foster homes. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what that is, but let's do it. <laughs> And so they placed me in a foster home. Later, I found out that my foster sister was in the same grade as my sister I grew up with. And I guess she really lorded it over my younger sister, which I didn't know at all. Um, so I stayed there for a little over a year, graduated from high school on a Friday night. Nobody came, uh, had made arrangements with my dad that he said he would pay for me to go to college if I flew out to San, San Diego. It's like, oh, not another word. I'm there. <laughs> he paid for my ticket, right? Um, I flew out there. He picked me up at the San Diego airport and um, quickly drove me out of San Diego, which I was kind of like, what? I, I've been writing you letters and I know the address was in San Diego. So why are we going out of San Diego? And we ended up in the home of his ex-wife who was now recently out of jail after a one year trial. 
and it ended up in a hung jury. Um, and so I walked right into there, met my, um, his, his son and daughter from her. And um, they didn't know I existed until I walked in the door. So that was kind of fun to explain all that. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, he said, you'll be living here. And I, at first I was like, mm, I thought I was going to be living with my dad. Looking back at it, a 42-year-old man with an 18-year-old girl <laughs> in, a, in a studio apartment in San Diego, mm, not a good idea. But at the time I was a little hurt. Um, and I said, okay, this is great. I'm excited. Where's the school? This is a really small town. I'm looking around. I don't see the college anywhere. I don't know much about college, but I know it's got to have a building here. <laughs> uh, right? the, college, yeah, the college is 20 miles away. I said, okay, well, Southern California uh, doesn't have a lot of sidewalks, doesn't have a lot of buses, doesn't have a lot of ways. The only way that you get around in Southern California is with a car. And I said, that's great. Where's my car? There's no car. So education has got to be important to me. What am I going to do? So I went, I walked out to the highway and I hitchhiked one way, 20 miles one way and 20 miles back just to get my education. Wow. That's my backstory. <laughs> That's quite a story. I mean, but wow. I mean, obviously you succeeded and, and you made it somewhere. Well, a knight in shining armor appeared. Uh, oh, so yeah, I got one of those. You got, I can <laughs> tell you got one of those. So a knight in shining armor appeared. I ended up meeting a, a naval officer who was cuter than all get out. I mean, it was so cute. And he paid attention to me <laughs> and he asked me out for a date. So I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. So we drove 30 miles out to where we were to get a date. Well, at the time, I didn't realize that I had the disorder that I have now that I can now control. But at the time I could fall asleep like that. And you couldn't move, you couldn't move me. You couldn't touch me. It was like, I weighed a thousand pounds. Uh, Do you have narcolepsy or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a version of that. And, um, but it was caused by celiac, um, which I didn't know at the time. And so he came to pick me up and my younger sister there uh, said, oh, she's asleep. And he's like, it's five in the afternoon. <laughs> she's asleep. And she's like, yeah, she's asleep. <laughs> and she shut the door on him. That sounds like a sister. Right. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I'm pretty much a, you know, whatever happens, happens. And so I was like, oh, well, something else to come along. So about a month later, I went to a different dance and this guy came up to me. Oh my gosh, he was so good looking. And he said, uh, so you're going to apologize? And I said, for what? <laughs> because <laughs> I don't, I'm not good with faces, right? Give me some numbers. I'm pretty good. But and he's like, uh, you stood me up. I was like, I didn't stand you up. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, he heard my story, um, found out what I was doing, what was going on. He was getting ready to go out to sea. And he said, you know what? I mean, I've known this guy for like one week. He said, you know what? I was just getting ready to put my car in storage. Why don't you drive it? Wow. I had never met anyone so kind, so generous, so loving in my life. This next summer, we will be celebrating our 48th wedding anniversary. That's amazing. Congratulations. Now, this is for somebody who I swore when I was 18 years old, I was never going to get married. 
ever. I mean, why would I get married? My parents, mar you know, married and divorced. My grandparents married and divorced. My great grandparents married and divorced. Why would I? Do why would exactly. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, you know, my mom, I believe, has had four or five marriages now. I, I decided to quit counting, you know, but marriage and relationships just, you know, they didn't last. So why, right. why would you bother? Right. Not to mention one of the marriages you had modeled for you had a hitman involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a little bit of a, a deterrent, I would say. But yeah. I, I do have a question. So um, you were talking about being in high school and then, you know, going into foster care and then after high school, going out to be with your father, where was your father while you were in foster care? I mean, did he know that you were in foster care? Did he try to, to do anything about that or? Yeah, well, I, you know, um, when I left home, he was still in the throes of the court case. Okay. And, and so he was trying his best to take care of his son and daughter that he had at the time, which turned out not to be his son. And, um, but, you know, we treat him like he is. And he actually, both my parents died, uh, leaving uh, traces that we followed up that each of them separately gave up a child for adoption. And what's interesting is the child my father gave up for adoption was born the same year I was born. I was born in December. <laughs> so <laughs> that means that um, my father is probably pretty active. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a nice way to put it, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. Now, so after after you left home and you were in foster care, did you mm -hmm. continue to have a relationship with your mother at that point or? Um, well, Amanda, um, I continued to have relationships with my brother and sister that I had been raised with. They, biologically, they're my half siblings, but, you know, by every other way, they're my full siblings. Biologically, I'm an only child. Um, so I continued to have relationships with them and I did maintain relationships with my mother. Um, in the early nineties, I started doing therapy. Um, I, 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 I'm a voracious reader. So I was reading a lot of books, trying to understand, trying to figure out, trying to, trying to, first of all, just get myself balanced. Right. I, I just needed to find my own, like, how do I make this work kind of thing? Um, so for four years, once a week, I was in therapy, uh, just to try and get myself balanced. In the meantime, I did maintain relationships with my mother. Um, looking, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but um, I think almost anybody would have diagnosed her as a narcissistic alcoholic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look back and for years, really, literally until last year, I saw her exclusively as a monster an absolute monster and just saw all the lives that I felt like that she had destroyed. Um, my, th there's me, there's my sister and my brother and the three, she kind of drugged the three of us, you know, um, throughout the Midwest. But my brother, she would say to him, um, you're just like your father and your father is no good. How many times do you have to hear that before you put those two sentences together? <laughs> Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. 
We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Words are powerful. Yeah. And now as it turned out, uh, the three of us turned out to be um, uh, contributing members of society. Um, My sister uh, was married for almost 40 years. Her husband uh, died of um, sleep apnea about three years ago. Um, And my brother uh, has been married for over 25 years. So we both, all, all three of us brought a lot of stability into our own personal lives, um, independent of the way we were raised. That's really mm-hmm. rare to see because those sorts right. of problems tend to be generational. Right. And, you know, at least, usually at least one of the siblings come, come out of that, really, really follow the, the parents' lead. And it sounds like you guys all managed to find your own path to something much better. Somehow. Now, on the other side, um, on my father's side, um, the oldest, who's the one I've never met, he's the one that was adopted. Uh, when my sister on that side went to speak with him, he heard her story and said, I'm happy where I am. Thank you very much. And kind of shut the door. Um, then the next one who um, actually belongs to my stepmother um, really struggles with anxiety. I mean, big time. Um, he, 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 he struggled with even being able to talk to us for a number of years, just because not, not anything he had against us, but him trying to work out his own issues. Um, and then my sister, um, in a way committed suicide through alcoholism at 49. Um, both my father and my sister died at, at 49. Uh, and it was pretty much alcoholism, uh, for my father it was probably a little bit of cigarettes tobacco mm-hmm. um yeah so wow it sounds yeah. like you guys have really <clears throat> independently found found a, a pathway to success what do you think was the catalyst for you to to find that pathway what made you go search for something more well jason i think that what the, the research that i found because I, I i questioned that myself and and what what I came up with in therapy is that the two people who probably contributed to my mother's illness, who probably, who probably contributed to her narcissism, because she was, she was born and raised when the youngest kid was over 16 years old. So she was known as the accident, right? So she had that growing up. And because she was the youngest and everybody off, was off doing their thing, including my grandparents, they pretty much let her do anything she wants. So she got said yes to everything. Well, you can't help but become a self-centered, right? When that happens. So the two people that kind of created or contributed to my mother's um, narcissistic tendencies, and I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking she something traumatic may have happened either in high school or younger. I mean, but besides the fact that her husband said she had to have an abortion and she didn't want to have one, but something triggered to, to cause her to go off. Well, what's interesting is those two people 
are probably what saved me because I spent so much time with my grandparents um, as an infant and even older. Um, and I think that they kind of gave me that stability. I know even going into their little tiny house, which gets smaller and smaller every year to me. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gone back to old houses, but it's like, how did that house get so small? Uh, I, I have such warm and tender memories of that. And the studies show that the first 12 months of life really can fire up those, um, those brain uh, dendrites, right? And, and get them going in the right direction. They say that, you know, you can hold an infant at six weeks and tell whether or not they have self-esteem. And I really think that it was my grandparents um, that gave me self-esteem, self-confidence, and allowed me to make a different choice in life. It's amazing. You know, I'd mentioned the talking with Gina Heeman a while back. Uh, her story was about a kid who did not have that at a young age. Mm -hmm. And that's where, as far as they understand it, where they believe rad really comes from. Mm -hmm. So yeah. reactive attachment, I think can actually look a lot like, like narcissism in, in later yeah. years, because it has so many wild pieces. I don't know how much of that you're familiar with, but it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's really, it's a scary, but I almost said disease, it's not disease, it's a disorder, because uh -huh. you don't catch it. You don't, you don't get it, you know, the bacteria or virus doesn't right. give it to you. It's something that happens because of what someone did or did not do yeah. when you were a kid. Right. right. It sounds like you have really fond memories of your grandparents, though. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. um, may I ask, where were your grandparents when you were in foster care? Um, my grandmother died when I was 10. And um, my grandfather, I think he may have died by then as well. Mm -hmm. okay. So when yeah. you when you did go into foster care, what mm -hmm. was that like? I mean, I, we've heard all kinds of stories, everything from wonderful, beautiful homes where people, you know, had met these loving relationships that have lasted a lifetime, right down to violent, physical, mm -hmm. sexually abusive homes as well. And so did you have a good experience in, in foster care? Or was it something else? So Jason, I'm very thankful for my foster family. Um, they they were there when I needed them. That's the best thing ever, right? Um, I was the oldest. They had two children of their own and they also, um, the mother was pregnant with the baby. So the baby was born while I was there. They also had a farm. So I think it was great to have me there <laughs> because I got to slop the pigs and, and uh, you know, uh, take care of the hay and do things on the farm after school. Um, so I think that it was it was good all the way around, right? Um, they were generous in the fact that I had my own bedroom, which was the first time in my life I'd had my own bedroom. So that was a big deal. It was in the basement. I was ecstatic about that. Um, they were reasonable in terms of, of you know, um, they, they didn't withhold things from me. Um, I, all my life, I've kind of felt like I'm separate or um, kind of a satellite from others. Um, and so it just, it was consistent there. Mm -hmm. Well, it almost um, makes me wonder if being around the, the farm, the exposure to animals wasn't something that was also helpful. We've talked with a lot of different people about doing therapy, a lot of equine therapies and things like that with with kids who have their their own backstory of trauma because it's a it's a prey animal 
and they identify a lot of times really well with kids who feel like prey animals. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I'm not fond of animals. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big animal person either. But I'm... and those sows were big, and you yeah. didn't mess with them, so I was up against the fence a lot. <laughs> Oh, and they're smelly too. <laughs> they're smelly and, and the cows weren't any friendlier and, you know, a horse. So yeah, it, it wasn't something I got real excited about. Although really? af- after I, um, in between, before I got to foster care, while I was still trying to figure out what to do, um, I did pick corn for a while. And that was interesting. They pick you up at like five thirty six in the morning and you go out in the field. Right. And, uh, you pick coins. So I had all, I, I, I'm not afraid to take different jobs. I'm not afraid to take different jobs. It sounds like you've done just about all of them, but <laughs> as a young man, I did work for a couple farmers Yeah. and I, I have fed the hogs and I will go ahead and verify those sows are big and they're mean and they're, they're mean. They're no fun. You know, and be around the horses typically aren't so bad, but, but well, it's I, I hard work being on a farm. They have those horses have big teeth and big, I mean, they're big. Uh, well, and if you've like, never been around that before, yeah. that can be yeah. very intimidating. Yeah. Not my, yeah. my feeling. <laughs> I'm glad it helps others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've talked to a few different people about equine therapy and, you know, talking with people about, you know, maybe dog support therapy and, and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, for a lot of kids, animals can be comforting. You yes. know, they can, they can confide in that animal and, and it goes nowhere. Yeah. You know, they're yeah, not telling the kid at school and then everybody knows your business and you're yeah. being made fun of and and everything like that yeah we we talk quite a bit with uh rebecca Britt about doing the equine therapy and and how that's helped a lot of kids over the years mm-hmm. and obviously not every kid's going to benefit from it the same way because well not every kid really wants to, to hang out with the animals that would be me <laughs> i I wouldn't have wanted to either when i was a young girl we did have a small kind of little i don't know i guess you would call it like a hobby farm when a couple of our kids were younger but yeah as a as a young teenage girl yeah i wouldn't Mm. want to be eating the pigs yeah i will say though it looks like you've done okay for yourself from from slopping the hogs to an office with a with a phd hanging on the wall i'm just gonna say that sounds like like quite the success story and I, i think that's part of what what i really wanted the listeners to hear is you came from a really tough place in a really small town in the middle of nowhere in back in in you know times when that was a really determining factor on who you would become and when you did that that was man you you had the deck stacked against you yeah and you've managed Mm -hmm. to walk that road all the way all the way out to being a college professor, a public speaker, a TED talker. These are not the, this is not the background of your typical kid who's going through this. Yeah. And, and, and I wonder myself, Jason, you know, I, I, um, okay. So I'm going to get a little spiritual on you here. Uh, I I do believe that there were a lot of angels that were guiding me throughout, uh, keeping me safe and different things. I look back at some of the situations. I mean, I was 18 year old naive girl from Nebraska on the sides of the San Diego freeway hitchhiking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that's dangerous. I mean, that, I mean, there was a time where, you know, women who were hitchhiking were not disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, more than once the the California Highway Patrol would pick me up and say, "What are you doing out here?" And I'd say, "Oh, I'm hitchhiking to get to school." And they go, "Get in," you know. And they would they would uh, take me. And there were a couple times where I was in the back of a van and I was kind of looking around, going, "Huh, I probably shouldn't have gotten in on this thing," <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I think the the part that that is so very important to see is that regardless of where you come from with enough grit with enough of the right choices you will take yourself to the right place and i do think jason that a lot of it is um the help along the way right i mean i didn't do this by myself um i had lots of people helping you know i mean my dad offered to pay for my college education if i came out to california now i will this is kind of funny um, so I hitchhiked to get to school, right? It was a community college in California in the 70s. The tuition for a, as many courses as you wanted to take at a community college in California in the 70s was $2. And wow. that, paid, <laughs> that paid for your health insurance. But my dad paid it and it was great. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I was able to take advantage of, you know, a lot of situations. So I, yeah, so a lot of it is, uh, I, I just kept wanting to, I knew what I wanted. I, I wanted a different life. I wanted a different life. I knew, and when I was 18, I wrote down that there were five goals I was going to have. I, I heard one time that if you write down your goals and you're very specific, that you have a much better chance of accomplishing them. And so I wrote down my five goals. My number one goal was I was going to earn my PhD. And I didn't know what a PhD was, and I didn't know what subject it was going to be in. I just heard that that was the highest degree you could get, and I was going to get it. And my number two goal was I was going to buy a house. That makes sense, right? I was going to have someplace stable to live. And I remember writing in parentheses, I didn't care if I had furniture or not. I mean, I would sleep on the floor. I just was going to buy a house. My number three goal was I was going to buy a car, and it was going to be paid for. My entire life, I lived on layaway. That was, I, I, I wasn't taught how to save money. Um, and so instead of saving money, I would, I remember um, I got invited my senior year, I was living in a foster home and I got invited to the prom and I, I didn't have any money for a prom dress. I didn't know what to do. So I called my dad, called him collect and said, um, uh, I, I bought some material on layaway, right, from Woolworths or something, and uh, and a pattern, but I, I don't have enough money to get it out. Would you send me the $18 or whatever it was to get it out? And he sent that to me. Uh, everything I did, that's that was the only financial education I had. Um, so, yeah, uh, I forgot where I was going with all this. <laughs> your five goals my five goals okay so so it was going to have a car and it was going to be paid for number four I can't remember what it was because it was distant but I know it had nothing to do with anything because number five my fifth goal so out of all of those my fifth goal was I was going to start serious dating at 18 I said by the time I'm 25 at 25 I'm going to start serious dating real life on this hand was <laughs> I was I didn't have my PhD, but I was working on my master's. So that I, I gave myself credit for that. I didn't buy a house, but I had figured out that if you were a manager at an apartment complex, you got your place for free. 
So I was like, okay, that works. Um, I did have a car and it was completely paid for. And I'll tell you how in a minute. Remember, I didn't remember number four. And the fifth one, by the time I was 25, remember I was going to start serious dating? By the time I was 25, I've been married to my knight in shining armor for five years and pregnant with my first. Do you remember hearing me saying anything at all about having children, starting a family? <laughs> no, no. In fact, when I was 18, I went to my uh, gynecologist and I said, yeah, I want a hysterectomy right now because I'm not going to have any children. And they wisely said, uh, no, we don't give 18 year olds hysterectomy just because they ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did I buy my car? Well, I bought my car to... Um, satisfying my husband's greatest wish. For two years, he kept saying, will you marry me? I said, no. Will you marry me? No. Will you marry me? No. And then finally, he figured out my uh, value system. And he said, do you know that if we get married, the Navy pays us an extra $155 a month? I said, let's go to Vegas. So <laughs> that weekend we went to Vegas and Financial I was, move. <laughs> yes. So I, and I was so upset because on Monday I said, did you go and get it changed? He said, yeah, they didn't ask for the marriage license. I'm like, you're kidding me. I didn't have to get, go through this. <laughs> and I told him I would get married on one condition, which he agreed to. I said, the only reason we're getting married is for the $155 a month. And he said, okay. I said, so when you get out of the Navy, there's no more 155 a month, right? And he said, yes. I said, so when you get out of the Navy, we get a divorce. And he said, okay. <laughs> he never served more than two years in the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you forgot part of that, that uh, deal, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Tough. I, I got busy and, you know. <laughs> Life, it happens. It could happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you've bought in. You're a little too far now to go back and, and redeem that certificate for divorce. He's almost trained. I am not giving this up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give her any hope that she's going to get me trained. <laughs> it's only 47 years, Amanda. Just stick with it. <laughs> I mean, we've got 20 years in, so I'm halfway there. There you go. <laughs> I wouldn't change it for the world. So. <laughs> I was just never a very good student, so, you know, oh. it might take a little more than that for me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, well, I, I love your goal of getting a PhD in five years. Um, I'm not certain that that one's terribly realistic, not at all. <laughs> but you got it and you're in this amazing world and you're working where you're helping people and helping kids and came out of such a, such poverty and distress and trouble and, and, and moving into a world where you can make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what you're talking about here on your, on your Ted talk and the things you're doing, helping people with anxiety, I, we're in a world now where I, it's either different or people are just talking about it more. <laughs> anxiety never came up much when I was a kid. I didn't hear people talking mm -hmm. about that today. I don't know many people who don't say they're suffering from anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. panic attacks, anxiety yeah. attacks, it's it's everywhere. People are, are struggling with it because life is hard. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that's just more of a thing now. People know about it. They're maybe talking about what was going on for all those years. Mm -hmm. So as you're as you're helping, you're, you're looking at that and you're helping people. Back to the acronym, whose name I'm probably going to mess up. Um, yeah, I'll let you say it because I... <laughs> 
dissolving waffles, worries, (laughs) anxiety, fear, frustration, lethargy, exhaustion, and stress. I mean, we all have some waffles. I'm pretty sure I got a few boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we've got cases of those in in the freezer. We got like Costco cases full of those, (laughs) those sorts of waffles, I think. Because you know we, we we've done foster care, we've we've adopted mm-hmm. some kids out of the the system who have lots of those same mm-hmm. things, and mm-hmm. even as young kids, they have them and they don't know mm-hmm. it. They don't have the language to put around it, right? But I see anxiety in my in my five year old. I've watched it for mm-hmm. since he was born. He was he was born addicted, and mm-hmm. so he he's got his fair share of struggles, and and we'll mm-hmm. we'll work our way through that. But mm-hmm. to be fair, I know you said you weren't a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I claim to be. But I'm a completely uneducated, untrained, unpaid. uncertified, unpaid psychologist. <laughs> it's a hobby of mine, right? I find it interesting. I play with the ideas because I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And hopefully some of the things I can figure out will help these kids. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a whole lot of real hard um, facts to, to help them with a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So the work you're doing is that is, are you working with specifically adults? Is this stuff that works with kids as well? Well, Jason, my, I think I mentioned I have um, the team adorables. I call them my legal granddaughters because the first letter of their name spell out the word legal. So I got to say that. So <laughs> my legal <laughs> granddaughters, they are team adorables and they range in age from six months to seven. And I have used this technique on every one of them. Um, when the oldest was about two or so, um, she was petrified of loud noises, absolutely petrified of loud noises, so much that we had to take her out of the house to vacuum. And then trying to potty train her, and she has to go to the bathroom in a restaurant where you flush a toilet and the sound reverberates throughout the whole place. It was like a, uh, a um, uh, what do you call it when you have the, uh, the, it was like a brigade, that's what it was, where we would hand her off to different people so we could get her out the door so we could flush the toilet because the sound would just be disruptive. Um, so I tapped with her, of course, with her parents' permission to help her overcome the fear of, of loud noises. She was in my house today and the blender was going on and she's like, oh, that's a loud noise, isn't it? And she no longer had that fear. The exciting thing about tapping um, is that the studies have shown that compared tapping to um, cognitive behavior therapy, which is talk therapy, Mm -hmm. EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, I think response, and then EFT, which is tapping. And what they found is out of those EMDR and EFT can erase those emotions. I mean, they're gone. They're absolutely gone. But between EMDR and EFT, EMDR, you have to be sitting in front of a therapist because you may go into a trauma response. And so you have to have a therapist with you all throughout the whole thing. The beauty about EFT is that you can do it yourself. There's a school in Pacific Grove, California, where they've been doing tapping. They do tapping six minutes a day, every day. And it's the students, the faculty, the staff, everybody does. They have a six minute tapping session where they just tap on um, the different parts of their body and they just do the tapping. And uh, what they found is that after doing this, that the test scores went up, that the um, behavior issues went down and that the special needs kids uh, were assimilating better. So it it is something that has been popular throughout the rest of the world, much, much more so than it is in America, which is why I love doing these podcasts to spread the information about it. 
Um, and you can do it yourself. You can get usually faster results working with someone who's been trained as an advanced certified practitioner. I've had training in level one, level two, level three, trauma, and quantum. I've done some past life regression stuff, which has been very interesting. And I'm currently in training to become a trainer uh, so I can uh, train others in this technique. It is an amazing, amazing, amazing technique that is easy to learn and crazy effective. It sounds like it because it's funny you mentioned the bathroom thing. We, we've had our own struggles, right? We've had lots of kids. And in today's world, when you take a little kid to the bathroom who you're trying to potty train and they move on the toilet and then the automatic flusher takes over, right? Yeah. And yeah. And then yeah. mid mid movement, they, they try and go over the wall because. Yeah. The so. sound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. The person beside them is done and it goes off. Yeah. It, it, it can be. Traumatic for them. Yeah. 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 Especially for, you know, a lot of these kids have that, that we've had to come through our house have had some level of trauma mm -hmm. and some of them have had a pretty high level of trauma. Mm. You know, we, we've seen everything from, from maybe a loss of a first family sort of thing, you know, a parent mm -hmm. who, who either left or, or was, you know, was, uh, is deceased and, and they lost them that way all the way up to kids who have witnessed murders and, mm -hmm. you know, and been drug exposed. So we've had some pretty, pretty, wide-ranging experience here but these kids have dealt with a lot of trauma and yeah. any trigger that actually hits that trauma button yeah. in the head oh my goodness Choo. yeah it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not like yeah. they're going zero to 60 no mm -hmm. there's it's not a linear thing mm -hmm. it's, it's like they go from zero to about somewhere around 1.5 million and you right. go huh yeah what happened here mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and we've, yeah. we've learned to, to realize that that we're seeing trauma responses a lot of times right, right. But it's not always clear how to help them, especially in that moment. Is this something you can use in the moment? Well, um, yes, you can use it in the moment. However, I would caution to use beforehand. Um, they, uh, the, the person who developed this is a Stanford-educated uh, electrical engineer by the name of Gary Craig. And he's, it, what he did is he watched what psychologists and psychiatrists were doing with um, traditional Chinese medicine, meridians. And he saw the meridians as if they were electrical circuits. And he identified these few spots that hits like 98% of the meridians. He has taken this into the veterans hospital and worked with Vietnam vets who have been hospitalized and drugged for over 40 years and in one week of tapping with them they are drug free and free to go back into society so yeah they use it with ptsd a lot wow that's amazing that is, is amazing one other quick question does it make uh -huh. teenagers like kind kids <laughs> <laughs> it does it does help teenagers just manage um things because teenagers are you know, they're trying to figure out the rules and, yeah. and make their own rules. And our jobs is to maintain the boundaries and their jobs is to test the boundaries. And, um, and it's really hard to keep maintaining those boundaries. You know, can I go to Waterworld? No. Can I go to Waterworld? No. Can I go to Waterworld? No. Can I go, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they, um, in the words of Bart Simpson, um, and they, they feel like it's kind of like, you know, a slot machine. We're just going to keep trying and keep trying. Now, if the response is the same all the time, that's good. 
but you know that one time they hit it and we have had the day and we are out of it and we say yes that they're like okay it worked one time and then they move forward um then they go full full force (laughs) oh yeah Let's not just stand at that fence. Let's knock it over. So the idea is to tap on ourselves so that we have the strength to be able to withstand all of their testing. And that's where the real, real strength comes. I'm one of those few fortunate people who's pretty good at, at holding those boundaries. Once I build them, I tend to put up high yeah. voltage electric fences around them. And me too. And you know, I my, my, well, she's 13. I almost called her my little girl. she's She's still your little girl yeah she doesn't appreciate the terminology but as especially as a little girl when she Mm -hmm. was she just a beautiful little girl had this amazing ability to look at you and turn her head to the side and she'd fill the entire inside of her eye with this massive tear and she'd say daddy please and at that moment she'd point just right so the tear would roll down her cheek she would look so adorable and everybody around me would melt and i would look at her and say no <laughs> I'm fortunate. Yeah. I, I, I'm that guy who who still has that ability, but most people don't. So how does how does this work for you know? I mean, I'm not going to say I've got it all figured out. You know, that mm-hmm. part I had figured out. The rest of it, I'm certain I still need plenty of help too. <laughs> so how does that work for for us when we're when we're working with ourselves, or maybe even working with young kids? Um. So I'm the same way as you are, Jason. I I was um, I was the disciplinarian. Um, in the family. Uh, and my husband apparently has only one word that he can say, and that's yes, of course. Um, <laughs> and then I get to clean it up. Um, but yeah, no, you, you can use tapping to help yourself. And that that can make all the difference in the world. Um, and you can teach it to your t- uh, teenagers. I have, I have clients literally all over the world that I work with teenagers to help them overcome their math and test anxiety. That's ostensibly what they come to me for. And in the process of doing that, I find out that, oh, it's really not about the math and test anxiety. It's the way my friend is teaching me or treating me. It's the fact that I'm concerned about my sexuality. It's um, it's, I'm not really getting along with my parents. It's this, it's that I, I feel so much pressure to have to know what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. And so it's never about the math and it's never about the test anxiety. It's always about something else. Yeah. <laughs> it's never about the thing that we think it is. It's always yeah. easier to, mm-hmm. to, to yeah. transfer yeah. that over somewhere else. So how, how do, you know, just, I mean, maybe a, a crash course, how do, how do we, how do we, <laughs> begin to implement some of that okay well uh which one of you want to be my victim a volunteer yeah. i'm gonna let him uh you have to i have to turn knobs and nope. buttons over here <laughs> you're up all right i guess i'm up she says <laughs> okay okay amanda you're a chicken so, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> we love chickens, so that's okay so jason um tell me something recently that you found fearful or frustrating or caused you a little bit of stress? Oh, frustrating. I have teenagers. Ah. I have three teenagers in the house okay. and some of them may enjoy pushing my buttons on a regular basis, almost like they know where they're at and they know which ones are the most entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me the, the most recent time when one of the teenagers pushed one of your buttons. Hmm. Most recently. He probably wouldn't appreciate me telling the story, but that's okay. He never listens. That's okay. You you don't. Here's the thing about tapping: you don't even have to say it. You can just say the issue that happened on that day. 
yeah, yeah, that issue because you know I'm horrible and I'm stupid and and he hates me and it's a horrible place and he wished he was never here and you know fill in all the blanks. I, it, it's teenager talk, right? It's okay. You're whatever. You're not my real dad. Said. You're not my real mom. Yeah. 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 Okay. And um, when did that happen? Very recently. I, a couple, what, three or four days ago, maybe at the most. Three or four days ago. Okay. Okay. And when you think about three or four days ago, when you got all that information about that issue, what emotion do you feel? Hmm. You know, I'm a fairly unemotional person, but I'm very, mm -hmm. very well connected to the anger emotion. Anger. Okay. And from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, when you think about that issue that happened three or four days ago, and um, you feel, think about that anger, where is it in your body? It's in my chest. In your chest. And when you think about that anger that's in your chest, what color is the anger? Ironically, most people see anger as red, but it's definitely blue for some reason. Blue. Sure. Of course it's blue. And, um, when I, I'm going to ask you to repeat some words. First, we're going to do it without words, and then we're going to do it with words. And okay. when we do the with words, we, if I say something and you go, you know what, that's not really true for me, or I would have said it differently. Will you restate it in your own words? Sure. Okay, great. And is this a true statement for you right here, right now? I feel safe. Yes. Okay. And from zero to 10, where zero is like, ah, no big deal. You know, it's just kids talking. And 10 is the most anger you've ever felt in your life. When you think about three or four days ago, and that anger in your chest, that blue anger in your chest, what number is it intensity from zero to 10? I'm pretty used to it. So I'd say it's probably about a seven at this point. A seven. Okay. Okay. So um, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the tapping points uh, without words. And I'm going to describe the places in case somebody's listening to this and doesn't have the video. Is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to start on the side of the hand between your little finger and your wrist. And you can use either hand. And with the other hand, you're going to tap right there. So what I have is my right hand is tapping on this left hand side. So my left is tapping right where my fingers and my wrists are. So you got okay. that? Yep. And Amanda, you can tap along with him and uh, it would be good. And you might actually have something called borrowing benefits. So you may feel an energy shift yourself. You mean chicken benefits? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgot. <laughs> Um, and so, um, Jason, when we have the sentences that we're going to say, we're going to say the sentence three times while we're tapping on this spot. Okay. 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 Next spot we're going to tap and we're going to use either a right hand or a left hand or both is on the top of our head. And we can use one or the other, or we can do my monkey move <laughs> <laughs> and tap on the top of the head. Our next spot is going to be right above our nose on the edge of our eyebrow. So it's going to be right here. And again, you can use one hand or the other or both. And you tap right there. And you can breathe while you're doing that because breathing is, you know, really a good idea. <laughs> and then on the side of the eye, between the eye and the hairline on both sides, either one side or the other or both, it doesn't matter. I took my glasses off so that... Uh, you could see better. <laughs> and then the next spot is under the eye. That's where I store all my bags right there. <laughs> and then under the nose, above the lips, right above the lips. And you can breathe. Oh, feels so good. 
and then under the lips above the chin. Uh-huh. And then cross your wrist and so that you're tapping on your collarbones, both sides. If you want to use one hand, you can stretch out the hand so that the thumb's on one side and the other fingers on the other. And then the last spot is about four inches under arms right on our rib cage. And you can do one hand or the other, or you can give yourself a hug if you want to. That always feels good. And then at the end, I always ask everyone to blow out the air in a cartoonish fashion. So we go. <gasps> <laughs> All right, your turn to do the, the cartoonish noise. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride here. Oh, uh, man. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you ready? We'll add words now. All right. Okay, so we're going to start tapping on the side of the hand and say, even though. Even though. When I think about that issue three or four days ago. When I think about the issue three or four days ago. And all the things he said. And all the things he said. I feel this blue anger in my chest, right? I feel this blue anger in my chest. Right here, right now, I feel safe anyway. Right here, right now, I feel safe anyway. Even though. Even though. This blue anger is in my chest. This blue anger is in my chest. When I think about that issue three or four days ago. When I think about that issue three or four days ago. And he said all those mean things. And he said all those mean things. Right here, right now, I feel safe. Right here, right now, I feel safe. Even though. Even though. I can still remember. I can still remember. All the things he said three or four days ago. All the things he said three or four days ago. And it gives me so much blue anger in my chest. And it gives me so much blue anger in my chest. Right here, right now, I feel safe anyway. Right here, right now, I feel safe anyway. And then top of the head, this blue anger in my chest. This blue anger in my chest. And on the edge of the eyebrow, right above the nose, this blue anger in my chest. This blue anger in my chest. And on the side of the eye, between the eye and the uh, hairline, this blue anger in my chest. This blue anger in my chest. And then under the eye, this blue anger in my chest. This blue anger in my chest. Under the nose, this blue anger is in my chest. This blue anger is in my chest. And then under the lips, there's about a level seven in my chest. It's about a level seven in my chest. And then cross your arms and your collarbone. This blue anger in my chest. This blue anger in my chest. And then about four inches down, all this blue anger in my chest. All this blue anger in my chest. Okay, you ready for the cartoon part? Yep. <laughs> so how's it feel? Right now, I'm still fairly peaceful. How do you feel? What do you? What does it feel like in your chest? Right now, I, I don't really have anything going on in my chest. Okay. And when you think about that from zero to seven, when you think about that issue, the anger, where would it be now? Oh... I don't really feel it at all right now, even when I think about it. So what happens is we have a limiting belief and the limiting belief may be that, I don't know, a couple of them are all teenagers are supposed to rebel or the boys are supposed to be difficult or, you know, whatever limiting belief we have. And just like when you, like you get a different car and you look around and like all the cars around you are the same car as yours, right? Does that ever happen? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 
So when we have our limiting belief, anything that happens that we can use to support that limiting belief, we hold on to. And then what happens is if we can get this one limiting belief, this one, one aspect, if we can erase it so that it no longer has emotional pull, and then we get another one and it releases that so it no longer has an emotional pull, and eventually that limiting belief goes away. I don't have any limiting beliefs. I know you don't. <laughs> I was talking about the rest of the world, Jason. <laughs> oh, dear. <People> me. <laughs> I've worked through all that already. I know, right? Right? Oh, you, know, you have plenty of waffles. <laughs> there was a couple of things my uh, therapist told me, and I had a great therapist. I mean, I wouldn't have stayed with him for four years if I didn't. But there was a couple of things that happened. One is that, at the end, when he and I both decided that we'd pretty much gone as far as we could and that I had attained the balance that I needed, he said, now, I just want to warn you, um, things may come up in the future. We're going to trigger some of the same responses. And I was like, what? <laughs> you mean, I thought we were done with all of this. Um, and he was right. There were situations that came up that triggered me and I, I had that same response right all over again. The other thing I noticed is that he was a very good therapist and he was a great business person. So I would come in in the middle of my workday, pour my heart out, be in absolute tears, shattered a mess. And he'd say, oh, Katie, it's been 60 minutes. We're done now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I would stumble my way out of his office, go to the car, try to regroup and go back into work. The beauty about tapping is that at the end of every like 60 minute session that I have, I bring the uh, client back to a state of peace so that it, you, don't, you don't take that with you. You don't take that with you. And the studies have shown that um, when you work on something and it goes away, it does not come back. There's, the trigger is gone. Wow. Yeah. That's incredibly beneficial because, yeah. like I mentioned, we, we've got deep trauma that hangs out in our house. I'm sure. And so figuring out, I mean, even if we could help a little bit, that would be amazing. Sure. Well, and, and it sounds like, you know, in, in doing the tapping, that it it's like self-regulating. Yes, it and is. And it can be so hard in the moment. Yes. I mean, even as an adult, you know, there's times where, I don't keep my cool and I should, you know, so self-regulation is a big, big thing. I never have that problem. I know. Well, we're just talking <laughs> up between Amanda and I, that's all. If anybody could see my eye roll, that would be great. <laughs> you may have pulled a muscle there. Jonah. I may have. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that's something that we all struggle pretty deeply with. You know, we, sure. we bring our own traumas to the world and then we try to parent kids who have trauma. Because I don't care who your kid is. There, there's some trauma triggers in oh, yeah. every kid's life. I had no idea my three kids had horrible childhoods. <laughs> and the things they told me, I was like, what? Let me tell you what a horrible childhood is like. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that, that's one of the things I think doing foster care has really, really opened my eyes to is I had a reasonably good childhood, you know? My mom, you know, spanked me a few times. I don't think I deserved it, but 
there was probably a couple times she missed when I did deserve it. <laughs> I, I didn't have that bad of a childhood, right? It was pretty good mm-hmm. growing up. And then we we see these kids who've been through so much and look yeah. back and go, okay, man, I, I was kind of complaining about some of the stuff I grew up with. And right about now, I'm feeling like I need to shut my mouth, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Well, and you've also dealt with a lot of my traumas coming to surface over the years. Sure. Yeah. But we, you throw all that into a house and, and then we have to learn how to regulate those for the kids and, you know, mm-hmm. ourselves for their benefit, help them yeah. to learn to, because they're going to hopefully someday grow up, live a life, maybe even have kids of their own. They're going to have to yeah. deal with their own traumas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the earlier we can help them figure out how to start that process. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the better off I think they will be. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you did mention people, you have clients all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, how would somebody like, find you to become a client? So um, a parent in Switzerland saw my TEDx talk and then Googled me and found me through my website. Um, my website is a play on words because, you know, I, I never do anything easy. So <laughs> it's, my, it's, it's my last name, Nall, N-A-L-L, followed by the word edge, E-D-G-E, and then company co.com. So it's knowledgecompany.com. And so it's www.nallegeco.com. They can also email me by hello at drnall.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at D-R-N-A-L-L.com. And I will throw out a challenge for your listeners. I give my phone number on every podcast and nobody calls me. So maybe, maybe your listeners will call me. My phone number is area code 772-480-0541. If I can't pick up, leave your name and number. I'll return it. Wonderful. You mentioned to Jason and I that you do some mastermind classes. Um, What does that look like? So um, a friend approached me uh, uh, in the middle of last year and said, hey, I have these 40 days of journal props for prosperity. You want to try them? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm good for something, yeah. Um, And she is a solopreneur. I'm an employee. She is a devout atheist. I am spiritual. And we went through these 40-day prompts where we journaled every day. We touch base with each other every day. Hey, how'd you do? Did you get them done or not? I being who I am, start on day one, did all the way through day 40. My friend started on day one and life got in the way about day five or six and she wasn't able to keep going. So the way this works is you go back to day one and you start over again. So she would go and then go back. I don't think she ever got past day 15. (laughs) But let me (laughs) tell you- Let me tell you the results. In 40 days, she doubled her sustainable monthly income. Now, I can't double my sustainable monthly income because I'm an employee. So I'm like, well, what's going to happen to me? Well, I started paying attention. And in those 40 days, $10,000 came to me unsolicited. Now, for you guys, that may not sound like a lot of money, but for me, it was huge, especially for me not having to do really anything. Um, We had had a car accident about three years ago and everything had settled over a year ago. And out of the blue, this other check came from the attorneys 
and they're like, oh, this is the residual part. And we're like, residual part? We signed everything. Why, why are we getting, you know? Um, my mortgage broker called me up and said, the um, interest rates are so low now. Um, let's see what we can do. They saved me $500 a month. Um, and I was like, whoa. So I started this mastermind because I talked to other friends who had done these journal prompts before and nothing had happened. So I was trying to figure out why, what, what was different about ours? Well, we did the journal prompts every day. We checked in with each other. So it was that accountability piece, but we also tapped and we tapped away our money blocks. And it was in tapping. I think the tapping was the magical circus, right? It was a piece that kind of held it all together. So this is about the fourth session that I've had the mastermind. And it consists of daily prompts that are sent to the participants once a week. I mean, once a day, and then every week they get assigned a new accountability partner. Now, these accountability partners end up either becoming clients or becoming somebody that you would buy things from, or they become good friends. Um, and then twice a week we meet on Zoom and we tap. We tap about our wins. We tap about our challenges. We tap about what's going on in life. So we have a, a new mastermind starting about every 40 days. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people may not be terribly familiar with the masterminds and how they work in general. Uh, I'm mentioned on a regular basis on, on this podcast that I'm a member of a, of a dad's group online. And it all started, I was actually in a mastermind with the, the founder, Larry Hagner, who had a, uh, he had a, a podcast and a Facebook group around being dad. It was all dad centric stuff. And as I was in the mastermind is where the, 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 um, the mastermind group started and I've been a member of that for the last four years and you. the differences I've seen in my life have been phenomenal. And honestly, I can contribute Mark. I can attribute, not contribute it. I can attribute most of it to the fact that for the last four and a half years now on a weekly basis, I'm meeting with guys who's, who are dad centric people who are focused on what it means to be not only a dad, but a good dad who are focused on what it means to be a good husband, who are looking at improving their lives, cleaning up their world in some places where they see it, being around men who will hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Because if I do some silly stuff, let me tell you, uh, <laughs> we, we've got group guys in this group from Australia and in the UK and all over the world. But the guy who runs the group, who started it all, he's about 20 miles down the road. And if, yeah. I, if he felt a need, he might come over and thump me to get my attention. <laughs> We've actually got a pretty big contention of guys in the St. Louis area close to where I live. And so just having that group of people around me, mm -hmm. to, even if it's just through Zoom, hold me accountable mm -hmm. and, and, and talk about the things that matter right. to us, that yeah. really matter to us. Yeah. And that's yeah. been really beneficial for me. So, you know, having a group of people in whatever way it is that, that you need to, to turn your life, that was something I needed. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, when I had first uh, joined that group was right around the time that, um, that I had decided that, you know, after we lost our daughter, I went to a pretty dark space for a while. And uh, without going through all the different parts and pieces, just know that, that whiskey became more than a friend for me. Mm. And yeah, it was, it was, I only had one drink at night. It was usually about a 700 milliliter drink and it was shaped just like a bottle. And I did that for quite a while. And it took me a long time to find the right group of people to convince me that the best thing for me, for my wife, for my kids was mm -hmm. to, to turn my life around and do some different things. And it's amazing. Wow. As you mentioned it, you know, the, the, the just the financial side, 
right. once once I got myself dried out yeah. and stopped drinking at all, suddenly this opportunity came up where my the house that my wife had been wanted to live for the last 10 years. We've been driving past this house. Beautiful old Victorian style house. Mm. It was built back at somewhere around 190 something. And she loved this house. And it went up for sale as we were looking at houses. And well, that's where we're sitting today. Oh, you know, uh, all these things happened and I was still paying for the other place, the old place mm-hmm. that we were living in before trying to sell it. And somehow or another, I was still able to pay for two mortgages. Yeah. And my income did not go up. Right. But being yeah. around the right people made, made right. a lot of differences in a lot of ways. And Jason, um, the studies have shown too, that um, that sense of community, that sense of people that are hold you accountable, accountable, the people that will drift in unannounced, like you said, and thump you up the side of the head. That's really the one and only key to longevity. It's not diet. It's not exercise. It's not, it's not wealth. It is community. And that's what masterminds can really give you. So I'm so glad to hear that you've got a mastermind that works for you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really fortunate to find one that was really, really focused around one of the the core things in my life. I've got yeah. seven kids. Yeah. One of my core defining things is I'm a dad. Yeah, of course. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I, I really do appreciate you. You telling us all about your, sure. I, your, your, your uh, program and your mastermind and, and giving people the the website again, which is, I love knowledge.com all <laughs> edge. Yes, that that's great. I'm dad. Dad jokes are real, right? I'm all about the pun and Amanda had to go chase some kids. Otherwise right. she'd be rolling her eyes at me again. <laughs> she do you want me not- to do an eye roll for you? <laughs> she, I'm, I'm practiced too. <laughs> I, I feel like she knows me well enough. She just rolled her eyes to the back of her head and doesn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so I really do appreciate you coming in here and telling yeah. your story today. It's you have a really wild and interesting story. And it's one of those I mentioned it before, where you come from somewhere really difficult. And you have walked your way to success. Mm, yeah, with a lot of help. A lot of help. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, learning to appreciate that help is a big thing. But I think we all have to realize that that we have that in us somewhere. And that help is there waiting for us. All we have to do is ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I think we all struggle with asking for help. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. So I have this thing I say to people who don't want to ask for help. Um, You know, there's a phrase that a lot of people have heard that um, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if you're giving all the time, who gets the blessings? You do. When you ask for help, you're giving others the opportunity to be blessed. So give them the opportunity to be blessed and ask for help. I will agree with you 100%. (laughs) I know that some of the best moments of my life has been when I've been able to reach out and and through just some small act of kindness, help someone else. And Mm -hmm. the, the, the feeling I get from that, the experience I get from that is such a blessing to me. And when I refuse to ask for help from someone else, I'm, I'm keeping them from that. Yes. You're, you're being what I call a blessings hog. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about pigs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I still don't like them unless it's bacon shaped. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like hogs at all until they get to the plate. 
Yeah, there you go. So, well, it's, it's great talking to you today. Um, I appreciate your time this evening talking with Amanda and I. Um, I really do think that, that our listeners can take a lot from this story <laughs> and understand that their life has not been defined by their past. Right. They have a whole future ahead of them that they still get to define. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jason. And please give my appreciation to Amanda. I know she's busy with the kids. And uh, I, I love what you're doing. And I appreciate all that you're doing for others. Thank you. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Katie's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and your community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes up every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Or from our website, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything in the show notes on your podcast player or over at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah.